0: Good morning, Discovery. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're going to jump right in. Um, Today's teaching is rooted in Luke chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 37. While he, Jesus, was speaking, a Pharisee invited him to dine with him, so he went in and he took his place at the table. The Pharisee was amazed to see that he did not wash before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees can clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? So give alms for those things that are within, and see, everything will be clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herbs of all kinds and neglect justice and the love of God. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love to have the seat of honor in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without realizing it. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you load yourselves and do not lift a finger to ease them. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your ancestors killed. So you are witnesses and approve of the deeds of your ancestors, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. When he went outside, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile towards him and cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Meanwhile, the crowd gathered by the thousands so that they trampled on one another. He began to speak first to his disciples, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, that is, their hypocrisy. Classic Christmas story, right? We read this one every year. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Today is the first official day of Advent in the year 2023. It's come. This season has come. The season of Advent is so special to me and us here at Discovery. Advent is, is this long tr- tradition in the church. It's a Latin word that really has this idea of waiting. And Christmas for us begins today on the 1st of December. And for the next three plus weeks, we wait. Intentionally. We don't wait passively. We don't just check our watch every now and again and go, it's not quite the 25th, keep waiting. It's a every morning going, it's coming. It's coming. This is the tension of Advent. And for some of us, we wake up in the midst of the Christmas season so jazzed because it is such a fun time of year. The conversations we have, we had our first Christmas party last night. It's just so fun. We, we just tend to come together in some ways that are unique as a community. For some of us too, and my family is one, this is, a year, um, this is a year we're celebrating without my mom. So this Christmas and Thanksgiving and this season is also one of like, oh, there's like a heaviness to this. And in the midst of it all, we wait. Like we wait on purpose and with great intention. And I don't know spiritually how years come and go for you. I think the invitation of Christmas, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, is a season of like, we're gonna think about spiritual things at least. It's a whole time of year that celebrates this Jesus character. I would hope that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, that if you're here today, part of the reason for that is I'm just, I'm just curious. Like I, I want to grow more whether you've been following Jesus for six decades or you're just checking out the claims of Christ. And I think in my story, I, I love this year, is, this time of year is so unique for me. One of my favorite things to do at Christmas time, uh, long before I was on staff here, uh, Discovery does a midnight mass service. It starts at 1130 at night on Christmas Eve. It finishes just a tick after midnight. And it's just this fun final flourish of like, it's arrived, like it's finally here. And I don't know if you're like me, but it can feel maybe even gamey at times for me that's like, if I can just do one more thing, like, what, what do I have to do to, like, really get in the Spirit, to really feel it, like, to have this connection with God? And there have been years where I'm like, if I just make it to that midnight mass service, like, I'll walk out the doors and I'll feel, like, totally connected, like, red phone line directly to heaven. <laughs> and If you're like me, you've had years where Christmas comes and goes, and all of a sudden it's Monday, and you're like, man, that was about as mundane as normal. The funny thing about the spiritual life is you just, you can't like schedule and structure when it's going to pop. Seasons come and go. There's an ebb and a flow to everything. This may be a year for you that you get to December 26th, and you go, man, that just kind of felt normal. I really wish there was more. Some of us will get to December 26th this year, feeling like that was the most meaningful season of my life to date. And the fun thing is that the invitation to all of us is the same. What does it look like to engage a season going, I will till the soil of my soul and create space around me that if things are going to grow, everything that I can do within my power, we've cultivated. And now we wait. This is a hilarious verse, this story that we're reading this week. As we got in, I, I had on my docket on Monday morning, okay, we're going to talk about angels and we're going to talk about Mary and Joseph and these visions, dreams that they're having. And over the course of the week, I could not escape this story of Jesus. This is the worst Christmas sermon, I think, ever. We're, we're talking about Jesus screaming at people, which for some of you, you're like, actually, Christmas for me is people yelling at each other. This is, this is native territory this is an odd story and i think if if we're gonna kind of get into the spirit of it just one of the things i love that jesus is doing here is he's really beginning to address where peace comes from peace for so many of us is something in the world that we live in that we really believe it starts on the outside if i can just have everything around me be okay then surely i will be okay too this is a time of year where maybe it's just peace with self that takes most of your time. It's mindfulness. If I could just, if I could just slow things down in my head, maybe then things will be okay. Retail therapy. That, that will make things more peaceful and better. Sexual fulfillment. Something that harasses many all year long. A perfectly balanced schedule. If that could just be fine, I would be okay. A perfect body or diet or workout regime, physical health. If my physical body could just be fine, which for some of us is like, if I could just get this rehabbed muscle, for some of us, it's like, I'm looking at maybe my last Christmas in front of me this year. No matter where you are on your physical health, if it could just be fine, then I would be fine. And I think mental health is on the table here too. If my mental health was fine, then I would be fine. There's also peace with others. And man, if there's a time of year, the holidays just bring out this deep need that we have to just be at peace with others. If my friends would just get back to me on time, or if I just had good friends to begin with, I would be fine. If I could just fix my spouse with that perfect book, I could plan that epic vacation with my kids. If my parents would just get over the drama, whatever it is. What about peace with the world? Read the news. We have one of two reactions, I find, when I read the news. Either my inner activist just becomes outraged. I feel like I need to just start screaming at something. Or my inner teenager pops out. The teenager, have you ever been around a teenager uh, when they have a dirty dish and they just leave it on the table? You're like, hey, are you going to do something about that? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, as world geopolitics continue to unveil, there's just something in me that's like, I don't know, somebody else will clean it up. Like, I I got nothing. It's either total activism or total powerlessness. I, I can't do anything. And if the world would just chill out, maybe I would be okay. Each of these things looks outside the self for the solution to peace. And we assume that if we can make the world around us peaceful, that we will experience peace. But according to this teaching from today, This teaching of Jesus. Peace is a person. This whole series that we've begun this Christmas season is called the Prince of Peace. We're just looking at these four titles that were given to Jesus, really honing in on this one. The prophet Isaiah said he would be these four things. One of them is a Prince of Peace. Peace is a person in this teaching of Jesus, it's not necessarily a situation or an environment. For Jesus, it seems to not be so much about what's going on on the outside, but what's happening on the inside. So let's listen to the teacher teach again. And my invitation to you would be, as we read it, Jesus can come across pretty harsh in this teaching. For some of us, we really squirm when we have a spicy Jesus on our hands. I'm going to invite you. Let him spice. And in the midst of it, Lean into what he's actually speaking. This is a this is a crazy Christmas story. Who ready? It's the second time. Here we go. Luke thirty-seven. While he was speaking, a Pharisee invited him to dine with him. So he went and he took his place at the table. The Pharisee was amazed to see that he did not first wash before dinner. The Lord said to him, "The Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools!" Did not the ones who made the outside make the inside also? So give alms for those things that are within, and see, everything will be clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herbs of all kinds and neglect justice and the love of God. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Woe! To you Pharisees, for you love to have the seat of honor in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without realizing it. One of the lawyers answered him, "Uh, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. And he said, woe also to you lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not lift a finger to ease them. Woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your ancestors killed. So you are witnesses and approve of the deeds of your ancestors, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. When he went outside, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile towards him and cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Meanwhile, when the crowd gathered by the thousands so that they trampled on one another, he began to speak first to his disciples, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. That is their hypocrisy. (sighs) Okay, it's odd. Yeah, Merry Christmas again, just to be clear. Christmas stories. I love these Pharisees. I think if we really understood who they were and what their worldview is, there would be a crazy amount of respect for them. And if you're like me, at least on first pass, I forget that. And so every time I see the word Pharisee, there's just this automatic like turning of my nose. Like, I am so self-righteous because I am not like those self-righteous people. It's super, like, super weird. But these Pharisees, uh, if, if you're new to these characters in the Bible... These were some pretty religious folks. These are very conservative Jewish people who take a look at the whole Old Testament and go, this matters. I will focus my entire life on this story. We could stop right there, and I would hope that that would be enough that you'd be like, whoa, okay, respect. I don't know nearly enough people that look at their faith system and say, I will give my entire life to this. Respect. The way that they went about doing that was reading through the Old Testament, going, We want to keep every single law in here. And the belief at the time was if we can keep these laws, and if we can get all these other Jewish people around us to keep these laws, then we'll be okay. And this is where it starts to become Christmas time in this story. If everybody can just follow the dang rules, the Prince of Peace will come back. That's the story of the Old Testament. So get in line, man. Figure it out. Take it seriously. And gosh, man, if we would just meet one of these folks on the street, you would just walk away from them like they are so devout and so intense and serious about what it is that they believe. Respect. And I want you to know that, like, the thing driving them, is we want to see this prince of peace. We want to see the kingdom come. That was everything to them. Now the lawyers kind of come in through a strange side door in this story, but these are really like kind of Pharisee 2.0. Lawyers not in the sense of like, I will defend you in court, but lawyers as in we read the law, translate the law, and make sure everybody knows the law of the Old Testament. These these lawyers. This is hysterical. I mean, you picked it up in the first read that Jesus is, like, wagging his finger at these Pharisees. Like, you guys, like, you're not understanding. And this poor lawyer, like, just walks right into it. Like, excuse me, you're offending us too. And he's just like, and you! Like, you sit down! Like, I'm, you're next! It's, just, it's so fun. Like, I hope that this is a Jesus that as you see how he responds in situations, you're like, whoa! Like, this guy was exciting to be. I'm, I'm just sure that Peter was sitting there with a bowl of popcorn just like... That's good. anybody else want to say anything? you know? Such a great story, but they wanted to see the Prince of come. Why would you spend all day in the Old Testament reading and writing down laws and figuring out how do we share these with other people? How do you abide by these? Because we want to see the Prince of peace. Because we need peace in our world. this is Roman-occupied Israel. Guys, if we can just figure this out. The bad guys get kicked out, and it will be okay again. Gosh, I just, I love the intensity of these Pharisees and lawyers. There's something in me that just knows, like, if I would walk around with them, I would be better in some ways. There's a couple of things I just want to make sure that we peel out of this passage, because I think that they're helpful it seems like there's this, there's this part where he talks as he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without realizing it. And to us, we're like, Jesus is getting random. Like he's now so fired up that he's not making sense <laughs> anymore. Which if you're Jewish, that's actually, it, it's, it makes total sense. If you're Jewish, to touch dead things was not okay. That was something that would make you unclean. You would have to ceremonially wash and stay out of the community for six days. If you were Jewish and your shadow touched or came over the top of somebody else's grave, it counts. So Jesus is saying, you are like an unmarked grave. People come into proximity to you and they're made unclean. Just from being around the way that you think about the kingdom and about peace, it's, it's infectious in a way that's hurting people when jesus has this unmarked grave comment he's he's not just slinging a stone saying i'm talking about you he's saying i'm talking about the effect that you have on people around you that matters man it's a really interesting just piece of dialogue that he hits there and i think in the end it, it's just so clear from it all these pharisees they're so focused on what's going on in the outside I don't know the intentionality. I, I've got to assume it's just through the roof for Jesus that he gets invited over to a Pharisee's house. If you're Jewish, when you walk in somebody's house, particularly before a meal, you're going to wash at least your hands, if not like your feet at this time, major part. But there's a, it's, it's not just like wash your hands before dinner. It's a ceremonial washing. Like I'm clean before you and I'm clean before the Lord. And Jesus gets invited over to this Pharisee's house, who, again, is just so intense. Like, if everybody would just follow the rules, the Prince of Peace would come. And Jesus just walks into his house like, where's my chair? And he just plops himself down. Dirty hands, dirty feet, and all. And the Pharisee's like, it's not good between us. It's not good between. Who are you? You would have the audacity not to wash your hands. Do you take anything seriously? And it's just so, from this whole story, it's so clear to Jesus his point is like you are so busy looking for peace and trying to force peace to happen in this world around that you have missed the fact that peace is a person that peace is not something that's found out there it's not if all of this would just fix itself then i would be okay it's the exact opposite of that you've got to know me and it's got to start on the inside first if it can start there, if we can be together there, if my peace, as the Prince of Peace, if I can just come and sit with you, inside of you, be a part of your life, that is where peace begins. He knew that about them. He opened up a conversation for a highly teachable moment that even the lawyers get in on. And Jesus lets them know how off they are. So what's the point of this teaching? Rabbis are great at metaphor. Jesus has metaphor riddled all throughout here. But one thing that rabbis don't often do is just come right out and say it. Because for a rabbi, the teacher is taking the student on a journey and your journey matters. So very rarely will they just come out and say, this is exactly what I'm trying to tell you. You'll usually with a rabbi only get a teaching like that if it's something that's like you're, you're not getting it. I've just got to give it to you straight, and we have that in this story. I I don't know how much of the dialogue is missed between the the writer Luke and and what's going on in the scene. Surely this conversation goes on for a little bit longer than we're getting here. But at one point, Jesus says, "Look, here's the point." Verse forty-two. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint, you give mint, you give these offerings, mint, rue, herbs of all kinds. And you neglect justice and the love of God. It is these things that you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. He's so kind here that he's not saying everything you're doing is terrible. He's saying that is right. It's just not the most important thing. You've missed it. You're doing all of these outside things. These offerings of all these things. It's all this stuff that's external And Jesus is saying, you have just totally bypassed all of the internal stuff. Where's your sense of justice? Where's your sense of God's love? You are so busy looking for peace out here. that the main way that it comes, you can't even see anymore. You want me to wash my hands to make sure that the outside is at peace? What's happening on the inside of you? Are you aware of God's love for you? Do you know this God personally? Where love can even be a noun that you use when when you describe your life with him. And to know him, man. It's to love what is right. That everything he does is right and good and beautiful. If you want peace, it starts on the inside, not on the outside. It starts with a person, with God being at the center of who you are. It doesn't start with a list of to-dos. It fundamentally starts by being loved by Him. Because of this, peace has to be seen, not as an external environment that will ultimately make you comfortable and happy. Peace has to be seen as receiving this Prince of Peace. As understanding this God for who he is. A father who loves you. A friend who's calling you home. Someone who wants to teach you how to live under his family name. It starts with knowing him. It's a person. Peace is a person. For these Pharisees, it would have made zero sense to how they viewed the world. They're, they're trying so hard to make the environment where this prince of peace can come in the world around them. And they actually, for good reason, they're super confused, as I think we should be too if we don't know the whole story of Jesus, because there is a problem. Part of my issue with peace is that things are messed up. It's not just Israel and Ukraine, and it's not just politics in the United States. Like, I've got stuff inside of me that I look at in the mirror, and I go, oh, it's still there. (laughs) I'm still messed up things that i struggle with things that have been a part of my life since i was a kid that i just find myself over and over again going man why do i struggle so much to think about somebody else's needs why do i struggle with greed and this lust thing dang it and envy and my selfishness These Pharisees have a total right to just stand at Jesus completely bewildered, really with the question, well, fine, Jesus, like if we're not supposed to worry about the outside world and peace comes within, that's fine. But where does the sin go? All this stuff that's messed up, like that's just going to sit there. There's not going to be peace in there if that's there. So we don't buy into your program. If you can't fix that, if, if there's not a way for this mess that I've made to be cleaned up, how can I possibly have peace? I'll be surrounded by all that I've done, by all that's been done done to me. When I just give myself time to descend down into the depths of my heart, I just, I see uh, the the house of a hoarder (laughs) just junk piled everywhere. The beauty of the story of Jesus is that he simply is saying, what about God's justice? And what about his love? If you let me in, If you give that mess to me, this is how peace begins to rule in your life. You don't have to clean up the mess to allow God in. You allow God in and he cleans up the mess. We can end right here for today. This is a good teaching. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for six decades or if you're still just checking things out. I've been following Jesus for a little while and I need reminded every day that he loves me just as I am, that all the things that I've done and have been done to me, that he is forgiving those things actively every day. And to be reminded that in all the ways where my poor soul (laughs) is just so trained to try and create peace around me, to be reminded every day, the world can be on fire. But Christ here, God here, is justice here. That's peace. I need that. But he said a little bit more here. If we really experience the peace of Jesus, we have to make sure that we understand that this is not a peace that will lead us into comfort, but oftentimes into discomfort. And there is a cognitive dissonance that comes with that. I cannot tell you how many friends that I've had in my life who are like, my life was going okay, I met Jesus, and then it got blown up. <laughs> Following Jesus is, is not this like, hey, it's a band-aid. If you have that, if you have this peace of Christ, your life all of a sudden is perfectly put back together. That's not the peace that this story is talking about. And in particular today, just want to hone in on this idea. Did you hear what he said about justice and the love of God? I can't have peace and I won't fully understand the peace of Jesus until the integrated world around me is experiencing him in it. So the peace that I receive mandates that I move it out into places that don't have it yet. This is a crushing invitation. (laughs) I have to impact the entire world? I have to pursue justice for every human being. I am delighted to tell you today that the answer to that question is yes. To receive this Prince of Peace is to receive all of him, including his desire to see every part of the world set right. Welcome to your new job description. And lest it feel like we've just unraveled what we've been talking about together today, that now we're right back into fixing things and the environment around us in order to have peace, let me clarify two things. When this Jesus is a part of your world, this, this peace that you have is in you. You're not trying to attain it by doing this work. You're trying to extend it. And the second thing, that is so delightful. Is that the way jesus does this is so human sized so we're about to descend into one final thing i just want you to know like i want you to sit with the attention of the justice of the world matters to jesus and if you will know him and allow him into your heart the justice of the world now matters to you so how did jesus pursue justice for the world there's no doubt that that was jesus's mission and it's beautiful that right after this story where he's talking to these Pharisees and lawyers, the very next thing that happens is this massive crowd of people starts to build as these lawyers and Pharisees are arguing with him and trying to trap him. We'll put this back up on the screen. Luke 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, the crowd gathered by the thousands so that they trampled on one another. He began to speak first to his disciples. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. That is their hypocrisy. This guy was filling stadiums he had a massive social platform he was growing in his political sway he turned to 12 people this was his main audience this was his main purpose this was his main focus this element happens over and over and over again in the stories of jesus something happens there are hordes of people he turns to 12. something else happens hordes of people he turns to 12. The initial impact of Jesus in our Western mind is actually quite pathetic when you think about it. What did he have at the end to show for his work? Not even 12 at that point. There were 11 because one of them had committed suicide. There were a handful of women, some others. They were all this group of completely marginalized and oppressed people. They were fickle at the end. Dude, swing and miss. It was a human-sized attempt at peace you want to affect peace in the whole world you want to have justice for all of it jesus's model is i'm going to turn to 12. if you want to bring peace to the whole world you're just a person you at best can affect 11 maybe a few others is that your lens When violence of the world crashes like breakers, do you lament or even get lazy over your ability to affect global change? Or does your motivation to buy a coffee, to give a gift, to say a kind word, to mentor and to love, does that just go through the roof? Do you seek out those in need of peace, those who are in need of justice? Do you ever feel uncomfortable in who you're with? What would it mean to show up for those folks? If you want to do it like Jesus, you'll have to do it seemingly at a pathetically small level. Peace can't, can't be individual. It is never intended, that t- it w- it never intended to send you to sit on a mountain and hum at yourself with your index finger and your thumb touched together. Peace is always thinking systematically. As it settles within, it then begins to look out. Where can I take this beautiful love, this justice, this beauty and truth and goodness? Who needs it? How can I find my way to them where they are? Take it to them. The invitation of Jesus is clearly to affect a few. Something we all have the equipment and the capacity and the personality and the network to do. In all of this, as we enter into the season of Christmas, as we hope, at least with a fraction of the intensity of the Pharisees and the lawyers, to go, man, where is the Prince of Peace? I want to experience him in myself and in the world around. Peace is not the effect of manicuring the environment around you so that your heart and soul and mind can finally come into fulfillment. In the midst of a violent and dark and messed up world, peace is a person a person who simply wants to walk with you a dad who wants to love you and hold you a rabbi who wants to gently instruct and teach you a prince who wants to invite you to live in his kingdom and if you're hoping that something on the outside brings you peace, a gift that's given or received, the right kind of family or friend party, the lack of conflict around you, be it interpersonal, geopolitical, or even an act of kindness and taking a tag in the lobby or giving a big year gift to an organization that you love, if you think that those things will bring you peace, I'm delighted to share with you that never in world history have any of those things been titled Prince of Peace. If you hope to experience peace this year, just know that peace is a person. What would it look like this year to engage him a bit more intentionally than you did last year, than in this last season? Again, I don't think that there's a formula here. It's not if you come to church every Sunday for the next four weeks and hit that midnight mass, man, you'll just be connected. I think it's just an invitation that's an always invitation but this time of year, it just makes it, I think, a little bit more fun and electric. How are you pursuing him? Or maybe the better question is, how is he pursuing you, and how are you responding to it? There's, I think, the invitation that he just says, I, I want to be with you. I don't want you to just go know more things about me. Like, this is not an invitation to, like, study your Bible and read your Bible more. Although I think that's good. But the invitation, if we're going to know this piece is to walk with this Jesus, to know him, not just know about him. And so here's a couple suggestions. There's a couple apps that are out there. um, But if you're like, yeah, how could I do that differently in this Christmas season? Here would be the top two that I would recommend. If you're looking for something like, I can do like five to ten minutes, maybe a couple times a week. These would be the two that I'd give you. One's called Lectio 365. And this is just a real gentle app that will walk you through a time of prayer as you consider a story and then what God might be doing and saying to you in and through it. The other one is my go-to in normal time, uh, Pray As You Go. It's done by a bunch of English people, um, so you get the accents in there, which I I just swoon for accents. That's the best. Um, But same thing. They just walk you through this experience of listen to the voice of God. What's he saying to you in this moment? For those of you that are like, I've got a little bit more than five or ten minutes. What would be like a fuller experience? The invitation would be this. Every year at Lent before Easter and at Advent before Christmas, the Center for Cultural, Culture and the Arts at Biola University puts out this amazing devotional. You subscribe to it. They email it to you every morning. There's a piece of art, a piece of music, a piece of poetry, a piece of scripture, a devotional thought, And man, it is just rich with opportunity for God to engage with you. If you do this, the point is not how quickly can you read through this, but all of it. I mean, it's hard to read poetry and music and try and digest it quickly. The point is sit and consider what is God doing in and around me. And with something like that, if you do that with a friend, if you do that with a group, life groups, this is one of the invitations to you for this next month. Man, the dialogue that can come out of this. It's amazing. And finally, if you're like, what's like the, the full send? What more could I pursue if I wanted to? What about a day of solitude? What about a full day that you set aside, not, not to go hum with your fingers together at the top of a mountain, but to engage the world around, or maybe even engage the world within? This prayer of examine would be something that I would offer. You can Google this, or you can come find me after service, and I'll walk you through it. But if you feel like you're getting that time with him, the final thing is just who are your people? Who are you intentionally sharing peace with? Who are you coming alongside to extend the kingdom of this prince? Who has a burrito or a coffee or an invite to dinner beyond the month of December? And if you need help figuring out who needs a person like me, we'd love to connect you. I'd like to end today um, with a prayer for us. Um, This is from Kate Bowler's great book, just a collection of prayers called The Lives We Actually Have. It's a prayer technically for the second Sunday of Advent. But it goes like this. God, we're waiting for love. Not the simple kind or the sweep you off your feet kind, but the absurd kind. The kind wrapped in rags, resting in a bucket of animal feed, love enough to save us all. Blessed are we who look for love, deeper, fuller, truer than we have ever known, than we could ever hope for. Blessed are those who seek you, the light that dawned so long ago in that dark stable, love given, love received. Receive this gift, dear one. Love has come for you. Amen.